the plant thing by r g mcready from weird tales magazine july 1925 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by dale grothman the plant thing by r g mcready this morning, Dick, I have something special for you, said Norris, the city editor of the Clarion, as I approached his desk. Interview with Professor Carter. You've heard of him, of course. Certainly, I replied. There are some rather weird stories concerning him. Exactly, and the latest of these stories is that Carter is conducting wanton vivisection on a prodigious scale holder of the local society for the prevention of cruelty to animals went over yesterday to investigate but was turned away at the gate he laid the matter before me and i promised to try for an interview who started the vivisection story several farmers according to holder during the past four months they've sold carter more than a hundred and fifty pigs sheep and calves it is well known that the professor is a scientist and not a stock raiser ergo he dissects the animals can you start now en route to the carter home i stopped at the hardware store and bought a thirty-foot length of rope i foresaw difficulty in securing admittance to the professor's domain while driving i brought to mind everything i knew about him four years ago he had bought the old wells place ten miles west of town no sooner had it passed into his hands than he commenced the construction of a high board wall about the five acres, in the center of which the house was situated. The wall completed, he had moved in with a young lady, apparently his daughter, and eight melee retainers. From that time on, he and his household might have been dead for all the town saw of them. Our tradesmen made frequent trips to the place but all their business was transacted with a melee at the gate. I drove rapidly, and soon came in sight of my destination, which stood on a hill a half a mile back from the road. Five minutes later I drew up before the gate, and, in response to my hail, the melee appeared. He was a nice-looking young chap, dressed irreproachably, and spoke excellent English. I gave him my card, and after a perfunctory glance at it, he shook his head. I am sorry, sir, but it is the master's order that no one be admitted, and, if you will pardon my saying so, least of all representatives of the press. But my business is urgent. Serious charges have been laid against him, and it is possible that I might be the medium by which these charges may be refuted. The Malay's ivory teeth flashed a smile. Thank you, sir, but I do not doubt that the master is able to take care of himself. Good day. This last was spoken in a tone of polite finality as he turned on his heel and walked away. I entered my car and drove back to the highway. However, I was determined to get that interview by crook, if not by hook. If I may say it, this policy of mine has made me a star reporter on the Clarion's staff. So I continued on down the road a few hundred yards, and parked the car in the grove, 
where it was hidden well. I then took the coil of rope and made my way through the grove, which swung in a huge narrow semicircle up the hillside to the northwest corner of the Carter grounds. Arrived there under a fifteen-foot wall, I looked cautiously about me. So far as I could see, I was unobserved. Just inside the wall grew a great oak, one whose major branches extended well outside. Quietly, I flung one end of my rope over this limb, fashioned a running noose, and drew the rope tight. Then, slowly, I wormed up the barrier. From the top I gazed down at a glory of wonderful, luxuriant flora. Stately ferns waved gently in the stirring air. Beautiful flowering shrubs were interspersed here and there, while everywhere in the emerald grass, still wet with dew, nodded strange, exotic plants. Ever the lover of flowers, I forgot my mission as I looked. There came to my nostrils odors more fragrant and elusive than any I had heretofore known. Suddenly I crouched low. On noiseless feet there passed beneath me a melee who had emerged without warning from a clump of ferns. He paused for a moment to brush an insect from the shrubbery, then disappeared from view in a thicket of high green bushes. Stealthily I slid to the ground and started toward the house, guiding myself by the observations I had made while on the wall. It was very likely indeed that the professor would kick me forth the instant he discovered my presence, but at any odds I should have something to tell the readers of the clarion. Two, my audacity might count in my favor. I had not gone far before I became conscious of an odor utterly different from the others. It was vague, but nonetheless disquieting. A feeling of loathing and dread pervaded me, a desire to clamber back over the wall and return to the city. The scent came again, much stronger, and I stood irresolute for several minutes, fighting down a sense of faintness as well as a longing to take flight. Then I advanced. In thirty seconds I came to the edge of a small open space. At what I beheld, I put out a hand to a large fern to steady myself. In the middle of the tiny clearing grew a thing which, even now, I shudder to describe. In form it was a gigantic tree, unspeakably stunted, fully twelve feet in diameter at the base and twenty-five feet high tapering to a thickness of two feet at the top, from which descended things, I cannot call them leaves, for all the world resembling human ears. The whole was of a dead, drab color. Dreadful as was the appearance of the thing, it was not that which made me reel as I looked. It was writhing and contorting, twisting itself into all manner of grotesque shapes and eyes were boring into me, freezing the current of my blood. Something rustled in the grass. I looked down and saw an immense creeper snaking toward me. For the first time I observed that it was joined to the trunk of that frightful thing, and so near the ground that I had not seen it 
from the tall grass. With a cry of horror, I turned to run. The creeper leapt at me and fastened around my middle with horrible force. I felt something in me give way. Frantically, I struck and tore at the ghastly, sinuous girdle that encircled me, undulating like the tentacle of an octopus. Fruitless, fruitless, I was drawn relentlessly forward. I screamed. In the trunk of the thing there had appeared a mighty, red-lipped orifice. The tentacle tightened, and I was lifted off my feet toward the orifice. A beautiful girl was bending over me when I opened my eyes. She spoke in a musical tone. Please do not move. One of your ribs is broken. A tall, gray-haired man, who had been standing in the background, now came to my bedside. I am glad that I came in time, my boy. Otherwise... He was Professor Carter. He presented the girl as his daughter, Isabel. Here, one of the dark-skinned servants entered with some articles, which he deposited upon the center table. I am going to set your rib, announced the professor, and forthwith he took off his coat and rolled up his sleeves. When the job was finished to his satisfaction, I besought him to telephone the town for a taxicab. I shall certainly do no such thing, he said. I insist that you remain our guest until you are recovered. Isabel Carter proved a wonderful nurse during the three days that followed. Indeed, the moment I had first looked into her deep black eyes, I knew that I loved her. I should have liked to remain in bed indefinitely with her to care for me, but was ashamed to do so. On the third morning I was moving cautiously about the house, she supporting my steps, although there was no need of it. The professor joined us. No mention had been made of my weird adventure on the grounds, but at my request he now told me how I had been saved from the hideous creature. Your first cry reached my ears as I was walking toward the house, and I immediately dashed in its direction. You were about to be swallowed when I arrived. I gave a sharp command, and my travesty released you. It obeyed your command, I exclaimed incredulously. Precisely. It acknowledges me as its master. For six months, its period of life so far, I have superintended its growth and ministered to its knees. But what is it? A dreamy look came into Carter's eyes. For many years my brother scientists have sought out the so-called missing link between man and ape. For my part, I dared to believe that I had discovered the link between vegetable and animal kingdoms. The creature out there, however, has, to my mind, not as yet passed the initial stage of its development. Whether it will attain the power of locomotion remains to be seen. He paused, gazing out the window, then continued. Twenty years ago in Rhodesia I chanced upon a carnivorous plant that gave me my clue. Since then I have labored unremittingly, crossing and recrossing my specimens, and you have seen the result. 
It has cost me three-fourths of my fortune and countless trips to Asia and Africa. He indicated a vast pile of manuscript on the table. The life history, precedents included, of my travesty. It will form the basis of a work which, I do not doubt, will revolutionize science. Glancing at the clock, he rose to his feet. It's feeding time. Do you care to accompany me? I assented, and we went out. The thing remembered me, for the huge tentacles swept out in my direction, curling impotently in the empty air. I shuddered and kept my distance. A melee appeared, leading a calf. It was lowing piteously, for it had sensed danger. The tentacle thrashed about, endeavoring to clutch the animal, which lunged back, wild with terror. The man wrapped his arm about it and hurled it forward. It was seized. A loud cracking of bones broke the momentary silence, and it was followed by an agonized cry. Six feet from the ground the great orifice gaped wide. The calf disappeared. A fleeting second, and the mouth closed. There was no sign of its location. The trunk was smooth and unbroken. A nausea had gripped me during the scene. The professor and the melee were apparently indifferent. They conversed briefly. Then, linking his arm in mine, Carter led the way back to the house. As we walked thither, I broached the subject of departure. He would not hear of it, insisting that I stay until Saturday. While in his study, I had noticed an elephant gun in the corner. I asked him whether he had done any big game hunting. That gun? Halla had me get it. He asserted that he could foretell tragedy in connection with the creature, that a day would come when I would lose control of it. I sconced the idea, but to humor him I purchased the weapon, which stands there loaded, in the event need of it arises. Still, it would assuredly break my heart if anything necessitated the slaying of my travesty. At the door of his study he excused himself and went in. Isobel carried me off to the veranda hammock. As we talked, it was inevitable that the subject of the plant thing should come up, and a shadow crossed her face as we discussed it. Tala says that father does not know how dangerous it is. He is right, but father will not listen. The next morning I again went with Professor Carter to the little clearing. It was a sheep this time. The poor beast was paralyzed with fright and stood passive, waiting for death. A tentacle shot forth, waved a second, then encircled not the sheep, but Professor Carter, who seemed stricken by surprise. He ripped off an order. Off! The tentacle only tightened. Agony settled onto Carter's face. I sprang forward to drag him back. The tentacle released its hold for one lightning flash, then seized us both. We strove in vain against the vice-like cable. The melee, with a wild cry, turned and rushed down the path, shouting as he ran. The thing was playing with us as a cat plays with mice it has caught. It could have crushed us effortlessly, but the tentacle tightened by degrees. 
In spite of all we could do, we felt that we were being dragged forward to where the frightful red mouth yawned. Our eyes bulged, and I could see Carter's face was taking on a greenish tinge. I extended my free arm, and our hands clasped. Then there was a roar of a gun at close quarters, and the tentacle gave a spasmodic jerk that flung us twenty feet. We rose, staggering. Talus stood by, the smoking elephant gun in his hands, staring at the thing. Following his eyes we discerned a large, ragged hole in its trunk, from which a stream of blood was flowing and forming a great pool on the ground. Even as we looked the travesty went into the death agonies, and as it writhed it emitted a sound that forever haunts me. Presently its struggle ceased. The professor buried his face in his hands. I had not noticed Isabel's presence. Now I turned and saw her beside me, gazing with horror-filled eyes at the terrible, drooping form. I took her away from that tragic spot, for I knew that Professor Carter wished to be alone. The End of The Plant Thing by R. G. McReady.